You're listening to the AAF Analyzed Podcast with your host, Derek Hyde and Garrett Lenny. Hello and welcome to AAF Analyzed Week 8 Recap. I am Derek Hyde and as always alongside me, Garrett Lay. But before we get started, do not forget, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. If you're on SoundCloud, to like and give us a follow and subscribe and leave us a review on our Apple Podcast page as well. Follow us on Twitter at AAF Analyze to keep up with all the latest news and episode release announcements. There's never a dull moment over there. No, there isn't. Uh, AAF Twitter is constantly a buzz, and you will see lots of important news and things like that retweeted from our account. Now, before we begin, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Coolers. Show off your AAF team pride with Orca Coolers, the best coolers and insulated drinkware on the market. Orca Coolers' new AAF team logoed coolers and insulated chasers and rockets drinkware will make you the hit of the tailgate. You can take your new Orca appliances to the stadium for the tailgate or use them while you're watching at home. Orca Coolers drinkware and apparel are available online at orcacoolers.com. That is O-R-C-A coolers.com. NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logo merchandise is also available. Orca Coolers is extending a special offer just for our listeners. Just enter code AAFANALYZED in all caps and no spaces for free shipping when you place your order online. Woo. Well, we are still here, and so is the AF, so we are happy to be here. The AF is still here. And we're happy that you're still listening because the AF isn't going anywhere anytime soon as far uh, as we're aware. I'd be careful believing any news you see on Twitter as well today. Uh, as it is April Fool's at the time of recording this on Monday. So if you see anything, I know already one of the other podcasts tweeted something out about the AAF folding. It's just not true. I would trust pretty much nothing that is tweeted on Monday. So, uh, yeah, just be careful out there, folks. April Fool's Day is a doozy. Watch out for that. Yeah. Well, week eight, we had a pretty good day picking games, though. Yes, we did have a good day. Uh, I had gone three and one. I incorrectly picked the last game that we varied in opinion on, hence why you had your first ever four and O week of the season. It feels good, let me tell you. Um, It feels like when Thanos completed the Infinity Gauntlet, I my veins are coursing with power, and I feel pretty much unstoppable in this moment. Keep in mind, I have had that feeling twice before, and this Ah, is your first time. Okay. So okay. I'm well, still beating you in every category. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, uh, I am making a comeback here uh, on the season. I have. I am 19 and 13, and Derek is 21 and 11. So I need to pick some more big games these next couple weeks. But other than that, I have a shot at least. Uh, Eleven to games remaining. Clock ticking. This. I know. I, I can do this. I believe in myself. You might have to pick the um, underdog in the championship. I might have to. And in uh, talking about teams who are going to win, who are going to lose, uh, right now if we l- take a look at the playoff scenario, there is a chance that every single team in the West finishes 5-5. Five and five. If the Stallions win out, the Commanders lose out, the Hotshots lose out, and the Fleet win out, every West team will be 5-5, five and five, and it will come down to, of course, who has the better record against who, uh, and in the division, and as well as point differentials. So that would be extremely interesting. 
Um, I don't really see it happening, but I think if it would happen, it would be quite cool. Yeah, that would be a nightmare. I remember looking at the fleet schedule, and they still have some tough games coming up, for example. So highly unlikely, but that would be an absolute insane thing to happen for the yes. AAF. Yes, it would at least prove that they uh, it's e- pretty even competition across the board. So maybe it would be a good thing. Um, but if you aren't rooting for any teams in the West, you could just root for them to all go 5-5 five and five because that would be fun. Sure. Yeah, I think it would be fun. Without further ado, let's get over to our first game of the weekend. We had Orlando taking on Memphis in Memphis. And Memphis was able to keep the game close, 34-31. to The Apollos walk home with the victory because of a couple of unfortunate events for the Express, I'll say. Yes. This was easily the best game of the week, and it was the first one. So, as this game was a back-and-forth affair, that wasn't really decided until under two minutes to go. Most of the first half wasn't very eventful, except for a Johnny Manziel injury that we'll touch upon later. It can be uh, brushed through pretty quickly, as both teams are able to finish off two different drives, or four different drives, and end up with two field goals apiece. Uh, yeah, it was so unexciting, as a matter of fact, that after Manziel was injured, TBS chose to show a shot of him eating nachos on the sideline um, than the players who were on the field. I so. hope he liked them. That was hey, he looked like he was really enjoying them. They looked like they might have been pulled pork or something, and they just looked excellent. Um, Express nachos are Manzel approved. Yeah, they should. That's a great marketing technique there. Fantastic. With the score six six with two minutes to go, Dearness Johnson does what he does best and scores a critical touchdown to give the Apollos a fourteen to six lead. After he scored the touchdown and the two point conversion. Ooh. Memphis was able to get yet another field goal going into half to bring the game within five, so it seems pretty close at a 14-9 scoreline. But the second half is where things start to heat up, and this is where this game was very exciting. Orlando would start quick, where 56 seconds into the half, Garrett Gilbert connected with Dante Dye Jr. on a 65-yard touchdown, and they would also follow this up with a two-point conversion at 22 They would be sitting pretty, you would think, at that point. But after a pair of Gilbert turnovers, the Express mounted a major, major comeback. Terrence McGee scored a touchdown. That was followed by a two-point conversion. Garrett Gilbert fumbled. That was returned for a touchdown. And Brendan Silvers tossed a touchdown to Dantes Bird, which was also followed by a two-point conversion. And that's right. The Express scored three unanswered touchdowns in a row, and suddenly go, they go from down 13 to up 9. Just a Boom. crazy turn of events. Boom. Nuts. It was nuts. It With was five nuts. minutes to go, though, the Gilbert we know and love came out and scored a touchdown with his main man, Charles Johnson. Mm. And after the Express punter drops a snap on a fourth and like 10, on their own 20, the Apollo sealed it with what else? than a Davion Smith touchdown as they're wa- able to walk away with a very lucky 34-31 to 31 game. Incredibly lucky. Key yes, players of the I, game. Yeah. Garrett Gilbert, 22 of 40, 310 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, and one fumble. Not a great Ugh. day at the office for him. 
Charles Johnson able to haul in eight receptions for 135 yards and a touchdown. And for the Express, Brandon Silvers played most of the game. He went 30 of 49 for 269 yards, one touchdown and a pick. And Gerard Shepard seemed to be the top guy to throw to. Nine receptions for 98 yards and a two-point conversion. You know, I think something uh, that was noticeably lacking there is the presence of Zach Stacy on that key players chart. He is non-existent in the Express's offense anymore. I have absolutely no idea what happened, but he had one carry for negative one yards during that game. Yeah. So their go-to back now is pretty much obviously Terrence McGee. Uh, they are, of course, eliminated from playoff contention now, so uh, that might not really matter that much, at least to them. But in terms of fantasy, if you're approaching your fantasy championship um, this next week and the week after that, you are going to want to lean on McGee instead of Stacy because he's pretty much been completely phased out of that offense. I literally have no idea what happened because uh, yep. he seemed like he was running hard and everything. But, yeah, he's completely gone. Yeah, I was just talking about how unfortunate it was for the Express to lose on basically a drop snap that yes. Mike Singletary said in the post-game press conference that words can't explain how disappointed I am for our guys. I need to see if there was anything we did as a staff or anything I did as a head coach that I could have done differently, but there are some things that happened today that I never really have seen before, and it's unfortunate that it happened on our side. Yeah, it, it does really suck that the game ended in that kind of way. I mean, I think Singletary coached a great game. I think the Express put up a fight. I think it's insane that the Express have given the Apollos their two closest games. So Singletary obviously knows something about the Apollos that these other coaches don't. Uh, I thought Brandon Silvers did play really well. It was impressive that Gerard Shepard stepped up like he did. So it is um, definitely a shame the Express weren't able to come away with that one from a win because of a simple mistake. But when you play the Apollos, you really can't make mistakes. So... Yeah, this is true. Even though the Apollos are making mistakes of their own, you still got to try and play mistake-free football. Yep. Let's move into the stories of this game, starting off with, of course, the Johnny Manziel injury. At the end of the first quarter, Manziel threw a pick to Will Hill. As Manziel tried to tackle the man who picked him off, he quite literally dove headfirst into Will Hill's leg and knocked himself out cold. Yeah, that was rough. This caused Manziel to miss the rest of the game and could have been the main reason the Express playoff hopes are finished, but quite frankly, just a really weird play, and I we might be able to see Manziel back because he did sit on the sideline and watch the rest of the game. So. While eating nachos. Yes. So, I hate to laugh at a player getting hurt, but um, he just dove straight for that guy's leg and got kneed right in the side of the head. Yeah, it was not he, a great tackle. No, he was it was bad form, Manziel. You gotta He didn't he even no, trip him up or anything. Will no, Hill just went straight through him. He just yeah. He went straight through him. So hopefully we get to see him again. If not, you will see probably a couple more shots of Manziel eating other assorted foods on the sideline uh for the rest of the Express's games. I like it. Let's put him on Food Network. Foods with Johnny. Ooh. That'd be awesome. I'd watch it. Let's talk about the other quarterback who was able to play the entire game, Garrett Gilbert, because it was his day off. Gilbert was able to throw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns, so all the credit in the world to him. But, very unlike him, he had three turnovers. He's never had more than one in a game up to date, and he threw two bad picks and fumbled, which was immediately turned into an express touchdown. I know that he was under duress the entire game, and the Apollos offensive line looked the worst I've ever seen it. And his defense helped him on the picks, but it still begs the question, Garrett, what happened? What happened to Garrett? 
uh, well, Garrett thinks that Garrett Gilbert should be just fine. Um, I think it was just an off day for him. Uh, every quarterback has them, even the best of them. So I think he should be able to get his feet back under him, particularly if they play a team that doesn't get as solid of a pass rush as the Express had this week. But I think this was just maybe his one day. I mean, he still carried the team. He still had over 300 yards and two touchdowns, so he made up for it. And, of course, his defense, like you said, helped him out pretty significantly. But um, as long as he keeps throwing for over 300 yards and two touchdowns and getting his team points, they should be okay, even if he has another off day like this. Yeah, I guess. It's still a really bad turnover margin. You could only hope that they clean that up in the two coming weeks before they prepare for that Eastern Championship in Orlando. Ooh. It'd be a fun game to go and see. How exciting. Turnovers. I just talked about Gilbert, but he wasn't the only one that was causing the turnovers because Gilbert did have three, all three of the Apollo's turnovers. And the Express had three different players turned the ball over in costly situations themselves. Johnny Manziel threw that pick, leading to his game-ending injury. They had a fourth down turnover on downs on that drop snap prior to the punt and effectively ended the game and gave the ball to a desperate Apollos team right where they needed it to be. And Brandon Silvers threw a pick right when they needed the drive to stay alive for the Express. So it really seemed like the Express kind of shot themselves in the foot there and they almost handed the game to the Apollos. Yeah, it was unfortunate Silvers couldn't lead another game-winning drive because that would have been spectacular back-to-back. Uh, the pick he threw wasn't great either, but he definitely was just feeling the pressure and felt like he had to get the ball out. Um, so that was unfortunate. Turnovers, we have talked about it every single week, and we're going to talk about it again in one of the later games. I'm sure if you watched um, one of those games, you can kind of guess which game I'm going to talk about when it comes to turnovers. But uh, turnovers have been a vital key in determining a team's success uh, over these past eight weeks, and I'm sure that will still hold through the playoffs. Yeah. Another part of this game being just as bad as with the turnovers would be penalties because this was one of the worst games I've ever seen with teams and attracting penalties and penalty yards. Because how often do you see games where both teams give up over 100 penalty yards? Yikes. Not often. No. Orlando, 13 penalties for 147 yards, and Memphis had 12 for 112 yards. If they weren't playing each other, that would have killed them in their own right, but luckily both teams were able to kind of counteract their penalty yards, I guess, and even out the scoreline, I guess. A little bit of offsetting penalties. Yeah, it was, it was a roughly officiated game, in my opinion. Uh, I know... Uh, AAF Twitter was abuzz talking about how poorly the game was officiated, but um, you can never knock it against the officiating crews. They Just like in the NFL, um, particularly in the NFL, these guys have bad days. It's, a, it's not an easy job, even with the Sky Judge uh, helping out. So it might have uh, had something to do with the fact that the, just the penalty calling was a little off that day, but both of those teams can't make that many mistakes. You just can't do that. No. Just an ugly... Ugly, ugly game. From injuries to terrible turnovers to an immense amount of penalties to the pouring rain, there was just really nothing good to take out of this game for either team, except the Apollos clinching the number one seed in the East. So we can look forward to that in three short weeks. Yeah, it was an ugly game, but it was still exciting. So that's really what matters at the end of the day. That is true. Game MVP of the game, I got Charles Johnson. 
when your QB has an off day, there's just one thing that can help you get through an event like that, and that's a steady receiver. Johnson helped Gilbert all day long and scored a game-extending touchdown. He just has to be the number one, other than Mother Nature, who caused the errant punt for the Apollos. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement there. Um, I think that Charles Johnson was pretty much the brightest spot of the Apollos' offense during that whole game. Uh, I know they put up plenty of points, and their running game did end up with two touchdowns themselves, but Charles Johnson was by far the most dominant player in this game. Yeah, it's hard to take any of the credit away from them there. Yeah. Now we're going to go ahead and move on to the game that I was talking about earlier when it comes to turnovers, and that was San Diego at Salt Lake. This game ended with the fleet being defeated by the Stallions by a score of 8-3. to three. Woo! Oof. Exciting. Yikes. Yeah, not really much to say about this game, and honestly, it might have been the worst game of the year, but hey, there does always have to be one, uh, and I hope this uh, we get this game out of our system here. We went through three quarters of football and saw the score as only 8 nothing, and then it took a full four quarters of football before both teams were actually able to score when the fleet made a field goal. Things did not start off hot for the Stallions as they nearly muffed the punt return after stopping the fleet's first drive, and then Josh Woodrum threw a pick, which I told him not to do very explicitly last episode. He obviously does not listen at all. This was followed by three three-and-outs in a row, two for the fleet and one for the Stallions to end the quarter. Then, uh, coming into the second quarter, the Stallions put together a 17-play drive that ended when Woodrum fumbled before he could cross the goal line on the San Diego one. I'm currently rolling my eyes just talking about it, and I did when I saw it happen. (laughs) The fleet go three and out again, and then finally the Stallions put together a solid drive that ends up with Woodrum fumbling the snap, but he's able to pick it up and hand it off to Joel Buano, who then stumbles across the goal line for a score in one of the ugliest touchdowns I have ever seen in a game of football. Following this, we'd see a missed 25-yard field goal by the Fleet, another pick by the Stallions, a fumble by the Fleet, and a pick by Mike Berkovici. Finally, with 10 minutes left in the game, the Fleet are finally able to kick a 29-yard field goal. The Fleet would get one last chance with 2 minutes and 11 seconds remaining in the game, but Berkovici threw another pick to end their drive, end their game on the Salt Lake 30-yard line. This was quite the game to watch. There were just so many turnovers. You oh, there almost were so lost many track mistakes. of who was in possession of the ball. There were so many mistakes. And my first story here is that I was completely right about how this game would go. Uh, as I predicted last episode, the team that rushed for more yards won the game because they both gave up the same number of awful turnovers and the game was decided by a rushing touchdown. So, like I said, uh, what happens if both teams either don't turn the ball over or tie in turnovers? It will be decided by who can rush the ball more effectively, and in this case, it was certainly the Stallions. Yeah, I'm sure you predicted that 8-3 to three score line, too. I did not do that. <laughs> I did not see that coming at all. Just um, as he predicted. Yes, but one of the reasons for this 8-3 to three score line was that Salt Lake defense. They were dominant this week. It was another sackless week for Carter Schultz, but it really didn't matter because this Stallions defense came to play. They made the fleet offense look absolutely incompetent, which they might be, but they still uh, definitely sold it there. Not only did they once again hold a team to a meager 54 rushing yards, they gave up no passing touchdowns and had two picks and showed great improvement in the secondary. 
They were even extremely disciplined, giving the fleet zero first downs on penalties, which is huge in terms of stopping drives for San Diego. This is the best I've seen them play all year, and if their offense could play half as well as they do, they will be a dangerous team with a defense at this level, even if it takes until next season for that uh, high-level defensive play to really take effect in pushing them towards the playoffs because it'll be very difficult for them to make it this year. But if that defense stays relatively intact through next season, if we have a next season, which right now it seems like we will, um, they could be a very good defense to start out the year next year. Yeah, the Salt Lake 3-5 and five record is definitely no fault of the defense. They've nope. been very good, but whenever you have an offense that scores eight points in a game, <laughs> you kind of expect better. But as I go hyping up the defense, I think it is worth noting, Carter Schultz, no longer the sack leader in the AAF. He no, was just not. taken over by J. Roan Elliott of the Commanders, who just got his 7.5 sack this past Sunday. Yeah, I feel like teams have started to figure out that if you double-team Carter Schultz, uh, then he can't do much. But, of course, that does always open up the other players on the line. So I'm sure the same thing is probably going to happen to J. Ron Elliott. He's going to end up getting double-teamed on a lot more plays than he already has been. So I don't really think that's a fault of Carter Schultz, and he's really taken one for the team to open up the rest of this defense because I honestly think now the defense is playing better than ever than when he was getting his sacks at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you could definitely make an argument there. Um, so in terms of the fleet offense, however, who I said looked incompetent, uh, we said that they have to win out if they want to have a shot at the playoffs, and boy, oh boy, do they need Philip Nelson back if they want to do that. Lucky for them, I'm pretty sure he's, I'm pretty sure he's available again this upcoming week, though. Uh, so he maybe can right this sinking ship. Their numbers from this game don't really reflect their poor play, and as a matter of fact, almost across the board, the Stallions' offense was even worse, except for a few plays like rushing yards and time of possession. But if you watched any of the game, they just did not have a good game at all, and they're going to need to change change things big time around San Diego. Yeah, unfortunately for San Diego, I'm pretty sure Philip Nelson is not coming back until next year. So they're stuck with Burko, the turnover machine which is a good thing if you're trying to make delicious pastries, but not so much if you're trying to win a football game. What a hilarious joke. (laughs) Berkovici (laughs) continues his turnover trend into yet another week. He threw two interceptions in this game, meaning he has had two turnovers in now three straight games, seven turnovers over that span. That's almost as impressive as the 200 yards and two touchdown streak that Garrett Gilbert had going throughout the first half of the season. Uh, yes, it's very impressive. That's what we'd call it. Impressive. Yeah, definitely um, not the right word to use there. Unfortunately enough for him, just kind of hoping he writes the ship because the fleet need that as soon as possible. It does say that Philip Nelson is eligible to return next week. Hmm. So he he's eligible. I have no idea if he's healthy enough. Oh, he's feeling. Um, yeah, but he's technically eligible, so uh, they could pump him up full of pain medication and toss him in there, but... I have no idea how that would go. Um, In terms of the other offense this game that only scored eight points, which was better than three, but not good at all. Um, They were not good at all, let me tell you that. Josh Woodrum continues to be plagued by turnovers, but they are stuck with him because, as we've seen, they quite literally can't function with anyone else. Neither of their leading rushers eclipsed 50 yards and were saved only by a short rushing touchdown. Their receiving leader had 32 yards. 
So something needs to change there. The fleet defense is good, but not good enough to limit you to eight points. So uh, they need to figure out to something different there. Uh, DeMornay Pearson L was almost non-existent. Nick Cheresdale also non-existent. Though a ball went through his hands, and that resulted in one of Woodrum's picks there. Woodrum just has to take better care of the ball. The Stallions put the ball on the ground all the time, and I'm not really sure what drills you have to do to fix that, but they need to pretty much just do those. Yeah, well, it's kind of weird whenever you look at it. Whenever you're only touchdown was scored off of a fumble earlier in the play it's really not a good sign for your offense <laughs> no no it is not yep speaking of another team that's still struggling let's look at the fleet because they continue to struggle on the road through eight weeks of play the fleet has still yet to win a game away from san diego and they have a shot at a playoff appearance still but in their way, they still have a home game against the Apollos, and of course, Week 10, they have a dreaded away game. Ooh, it's looking scary, and only have to see where it goes from here. Yeah, that away game is going to be rough, and it does not help at all that they have to play the big, bad Orlando Apollos at home, because the home game is the one that you would think they would win, but they're playing the best team in the league at home, so that will be certainly a battle. Yeah, unfortunately for them, they're not... Uh, undefeated at home either so whenever they're at home it's not a guaranteed win even though when they're on the road it seems to be a guaranteed loss game mvp for this game i got joel buonio the game was a real fluke but in a game where there's only one score you almost have to give the game mvp to the guy who scored that touchdown (laughs) even if he just simply fell on the ball in the end zone so joel congratulations you win game mvp yeah, I'd give my offensive MVP, defensive MVP. I just have to give give it to the Stallions uh, because they picked up all the slack that their offense left them by holding the uh, the fleet to only three points, which is a great feat. They had 12 passes defended, two picks, one forced fumble, and a fumble recovery, and gave up once again only 54 rushing yards. Their rushing defense is freaking elite. So. Um, yeah, I would give my MVP probably to the Stallions' defense as a whole because without them, the Stallions' offense would have been sunk. But at the end of the day, it was the fleet whose ship was sunk. Yeah. Well, (laughs) we now pause again for a word from our sponsor, Orca Coolers. Show off your AAF team pride with Orca Coolers and drinkware. They're the best coolers and insulated drinkware on the market. Orca Coolers' new AAF team logoed coolers and insulated rockets and drinkware will make you the hit of the tailgate. Integrated insulation ensures maximum ice-cold retention and freshness of your stowed items for up to 10 days. Orca's the real deal, people. I just got my very own cup, courtesy of Garrett's Dab, and I'm very excited to try it out. (laughs) I love the design on it. It looks fantastic. Orca coolers, drinkware, and apparel are available online at orcacoolers.com. In case you happen to forget, that is still orcacoolers.com. They have NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logo merchandise, so you're ready for every single season as the NCAA comes to the end and the MLB starts up. Orca Coolers is extending a special offer just to our listeners. Just enter code AAFANALYZED in all caps and no spaces for free shipping when you place your order online. That is not just eligible for the AAF products. It works for everything across the whole site. It's wonderful. Yeah, and I'm looking up a couple 
Orca cooler, you know, tidbits here, and they offer a lifetime warranty, and it's built in the USA. So, you know what? That's excellent. Check out uh, their competitors. They don't offer offer that same kind of uh, stuff there. Maybe a five-year warranty from another certain brand of coolers who you might have heard of who also builds their coolers overseas. So, uh, you've probably heard of this brand. I will not mention them by name because I don't know if I can. So, but, Orca is the way to go, definitely. Yeah, we'll keep I agree. it at that. The experts agree. The experts agree. Just Google it. The cooler experts. Let's move on to Sunday. Okay. Atlanta at Birmingham, another low-scoring affair where the Iron would take home a 17-9 win, and they would clinch their spot in the Eastern playoffs, where they get to be the very lucky ones who get to travel to Orlando for the 11th week of the season. That's going to be so lucky. The defensive battles of the Iron are back, and Young Wei Koo started the game as he usually does, with a first-quarter field goal. Just like we're back in the olden days. Woohoo for Koo. Then the Iron had their most offensive productive quarter of the game. They scored 11 points. Wow. After a Nick Novak field goal, what else? Then a Trent Richardson touchdown. He has had a touchdown in all eight games so far this season, which is just absolutely Rid- incredible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it he's, really is. He's good for a touchdown every game, it seems like. And the Iron suddenly saw their lead. Despite their struggles, they would only finish this game with 177 total yards, which is not good. After that Novak field goal, however, the Legends were able to recover a fumble on the Irons' 25-yard line. However, they weren't able to do much of anything with it, except hand the ball over to Mr. Reliable Youngway Koo, where, of course, he puts the ball through the posts. And their defense held the Legends to a 3-and-out, and the Iron were able to kick a field goal of their own to take a 14-6 lead. The Legends would get another field goal to raise their point total up to 9, but their next red zone trip, they had enough of field goals, and they went for it on 4th and goal. And Murray was stuffed trying to run over to the right side. A couple of Trent Richardson runs later, and the Iron would score another touchdown, or another field goal, to ice the game, and they would walk out of there with a W and a clinched playoff berth. Key players of the game, Aaron Murray and Matt Sims, both played in the game. They split halves. A little over 100 yards for both and a pick for each, so not too great. <laughs> Justin Thomas, the wide receiver, had four receptions for 74 yards. And Jeff Luck, the defensive player, had eight tackles and a forced fumble for the Legends. And for the Iron, Luis Perez, 10 of 24 for 65 yards, no touchdowns, and eventual benching on his stat sheet. And Trent Richardson, of course, able to carry the team with 83 yards in his normal one touchdown. Hey, I did say that Trent Richardson would have over 50 yards. So that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Quarterback play this game was not good at all. That is an understatement. Thank goodness Trent Richardson is there and is still a monster because he was, of course, still exciting to watch. Yeah, let's start with the positives, He did get stripped, though. That was interesting. Is the iron defense back? Because after three straight games where they gave up 29 points or more to offenses, the iron of the first couple weeks could be back. They only gave up 266 yards and nine points in this game. And, oh, yeah, they also had four turnovers, which were kind of a big thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I do want to point out that they are playing the one of the teams that they played at the beginning of the year and beat up on the Legends. So 
I wouldn't get too high on the iron defense yet until they play a team that uh, they hadn't smashed before. But those four turnovers are a good sign. If they can get back to their turnover-forcing ways, they, of course, will be dangerous once again because that is what carried them to those three victories at the beginning of the season. Yeah, well, their next game is in Arizona, which is certainly Ooh, a high-powered that offense. Will, that will be a test of the defense. There we go. That's what I like to see. And then Week 10... They get to go back to Orlando to finish wow. it off right before the playoff game they have against them, too. That's interesting. Um, that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that game plays out. Like, will it be a preview of the uh, playoff game? Will they? Will both teams try something, and then the team that fails during that game wins the next time because they know what they did wrong? That'd like actually be really cool. Be worried to kind of give away your game plan. I know. They, they Both teams might just try to throw that game. <laughs> that'll be interesting to watch. And not give anything away. We got two weeks to wait for that one, though, so let's keep on going with this current Iron game where the Legends killed themselves to give the Iron this one because let's start with the turnovers. The Legends gave up the ball too much, not once, but four times to the Iron, and we say this all the time. If you turn the ball over that much, you just simply cannot and will not win football games. Nope. They also had at least five possessions within the Iron 30 that ended with a turnover or a field goal which is good for Young Wei Koo's potential NFL career, but not so much for a football team that is trying to win games. Yeah, I'd like to see the Legends' offensive efficiency in the red zone. I don't have that number on me right now, not but I'm almost positive it's atrocious. <laughs> and what were you saying their point differential now is? Negative 117? Negative 125. Oh, negative 125. So that's not good. Um, they need no. to score points. They need to figure that out. Yep, the Legends managed to continue having their point differential going in the wrong direction as the Apollos, we didn't mention this earlier, are actually the first AAF team to get over 100 total net points. The Legends yeah, still have to score 100 points total this year at only 88. Not a great year. No, not at all. <laughs> the Iron Offense also fell off a cliff, though. I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier because they had a terrible day they combined for 177 total yards through this game and neither one of their quarterbacks had more than 70 yards through the air or at all because the leading yard getter for this team was in fact trent richardson yay (laughs) but come on this is not a recipe for success if you go into a playoff game against the apollos only putting up 177 yards you're gonna get beat to a pulp yeah i don't know who they should start at quarterback Perez has shown such solid flashes um, mm-hmm. that you would think they would start him, but Keith Price is hes a different player than uh, Perez. He has a completely different play style. He's more willing to run the ball. So it'll be interesting to see who they go with these next two weeks. Because they've clinched that playoff spot, these next two weeks might be crucial in determining who is going to be the starting quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them get playing time regardless of how these next two games are going. Uh, just because they're going to want to see who could carry this team to a victory in the playoffs, of course, against the Apollos. So these next two weeks might just be test runs for what they're going to be able to pull out in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess you just start trying to figure things out now since you already know your opponent and where it will be. Yes. (laughs) Not really much more to play for in the East. Nope. QBs in this game were pitiful. Uh, I gave a little bit of taste in the last story, and so do you, but neither side was very good. Let's go through individual stats here, and you let me know what blows you away. 
Luis Perez, 10 of 24, 65 yards, zero touchdowns, one two-point conversion. Not blown away. Keith Price, 2 of 2 for 31 yards. 2 of 2 is not bad. Eh, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess we can give that to him. Uh, he also had 7 carries for 6 yards. That's not great. Matt Sims played in the first half for the Legends. 13 of 22, 135 yards, 1 pick. Nope. And Aaron Murray played in the second half. 6 of 13, 100 yards, and 1 interception. Mm-mm. He also had three carries and eight yards. Yeah, no, that's just, you don't like to see those numbers out of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly expected better things from Perez. I do know the Legends' secondary is their strength, so I did see Trent Richardson being the focal point of the offense, but I expected a few more than 65 yards. That was just not good. Yeah, uh, Perez got benched. I would assume the Legends' game plan was to split halves with Sims and Murray, but didn't seem to work with them either so just kind of hopefully both of those teams get back at it and try to at least make a valiant effort next week yeah richardson though fantastic game he may moved more yards than anyone including his qbs in this game 83 yards one touchdown was clearly a game changer and the legends could stop everything but themselves from turning the ball over and trent richardson uh, game MVP, obviously, is Trent Richardson. If you need any more reasoning than that, I don't have it for you. <laughs> more yards by him all year and a game-winning touchdown and an all-around great performance. It just got to be Trent. Yeah, it's got to be him. The fact that he has a touchdown in every game is remarkable. Once again, this could be a game where you give the defense some credit uh, for those four turnovers, but Trent was literally the only reason they really scored any points. So I will also give my game MVP to Trent here. All right. We have our last game of the weekend coming up now. Arizona at San Antonio. And the Hot Shots came from an underdog position in this game to take it 23-6. The Hot Shots came into San Antonio with a mission. Silence the crowd and come away tied for the lead in the West. They did both. The game began with two short first drives from each team. But on the Hot Shots' second drive, they came out swinging with John Wolford launching a beauty to a streaking Rashad Ross down the middle of the field for a 58-yard touchdown. That was one of the most explosive plays I've seen all year, and the Hot Shots are obviously quite happy to have a fully healthy Rashad Ross back because he is dangerous, to say the least. After this, things would slow down as the Hot Shots' defense looked very solid for the third week in a row. The Hot Shots were able to tack on another field goal early in the second to take a 9-0 lead thanks to the solid play from their defense. The Commander's offense remained non-existent until they made themselves know, uh, known by Woodside throwing a pick, uh, so he made a big play for the other team. The Hot Shots took advantage of the field position on the Commander's 13-yard line and ended up scoring a 6-yard touchdown run with Tim Cook to go up 15-0. Things were not looking good for the Commanders. The following drive, the Commanders put in Marquise Williams. We aren't sure if Logan Woodside is hurt still from that shoulder, if it's still a little bit aggravated, or if they just pulled him. Um, We'll have to see next week and once the injury reports come out. But he was able to get a little something going, and the Commanders had a drive that ended with Nick Rose draining a 54-yard field goal. Pretty much the same thing happened to start the second half with Williams getting the Commanders down the field and Nick Rose making another field goal uh, to set the score at 16-15 and keeping the Commanders in this game. But the Hotshots defense continued to play very solid football and forced a fumble when the Commanders were on the Arizona 18. 
Then the Hotshots capitalized on this turnover opportunity and took the ball all the way back down the field with a 20-yard touchdown run from Tim Cook, which effectively ended the game as the Commanders held the ball for the remaining four minutes but were unable to get in the end zone, which is pretty much what they needed. Yeah, that was something else. I obviously didn't expect that as the Commanders to win that game, unfortunately. It was definitely... (laughs) They didn't break 30,000 in attendance, sadly enough, no. so that had I it. known that. Yeah if, you, yeah, if you had been able to know that, so you can blame everyone in San Antonio, all 1,000 people who didn't show up to the game uh, to put them over that 30,000 30, people hump. That's, Guys, that's what happened you for next sure. Time. I, I need that's that what... perfect record because it just it warms my heart. I need it more. It's just unfortunate. <laughs> you know, the attendance numbers were surprising considering the playoff implications that this game had. Um, so I'm sure it was a little disappointing, but still 29,000 fans is still by far more than any other team has seen this season. So good job, San Antonio. Continue to show out for your team and for the AAF. Three claps for you. Keep up the good work. Um <laughs> Other stories for this game besides attendance. Logan Woodside did not have a good day at all. Uh, He was 4 for 9 for 32 yards and a pick before he came out of the game. Like we said, we're not sure if he's still hurting from last week or what, but there's certainly a chance, at least according to me, that we see Marquise Williams starting next week. He actually had solid numbers but was thrown into a bad position, so personally, if I were in charge, I'd be starting Williams next week to see what he can do when he's not starting from behind. It is a risk because he's not normally your starting quarterback and you're now no longer in sole possession of the lead of the West. But right now, Woodside has not looked great these last two games, even though he did show flashes. Now, of course, if what was bothering Woodside was his shoulder and it gets better over this week, then go ahead, put Woodside back in. But right now, if I'm in charge, I'm putting in Marquise Williams as a bold move to try to make a play for first in the West. Yeah, surprisingly, I'm, I've never been that high on Marquise Williams, but I, I'd agree with you there. Uh, look, Just looking at the stats in that last game, he only missed six passes. He went 17 to 23 for 130 yards, and he was averaging 5.7 yards per attempt. And since he's also a very mobile quarterback, he also had seven carries for 36 yards, which if you do the math, is over five yards per carry as well. So maybe he could be kind of an X factor to bring into your offense. And if if you get Woodside back, he can kind of play like a, kind of like a surprise role or kind of like a option quarterback almost. Yeah, I, I think they could definitely do that. Um, right now, though, I think... I was actually surprised you agreed with me. When I wrote this, I thought you were going to um, keep going with Woodside. But you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> we're on the same page here. Uh, I do think Marquise Williams should be given a chance to start when they aren't losing and see what he can do with his arm and his legs. Um, other stories. The Hot Shots were great at capitalizing on turnovers this week. The Hot Shots put on a great performance of offense and defense working together to bring a win back home. While the defense did allow more yards and more plays than the commander's defense did, they were able to force two turnovers and generally kept the commanders out of the red zone. The Hotshots offense was then able to take advantage of those forced turnovers and scored on both of them, which is huge. This kind of teamwork will bring the Hotshots great success in the future. This is what you like to see. Um, Other news, John Wolford not throwing a pick to the commander's secondary, who had been absolutely rolling in picks lately was also really really big so props to Wolford for taking care of the ball for his offense but Mm -hmm. that defense getting those turnovers and then the offense being able to score on both of them is huge because those are possibly you know eight point six point swings there 
Yeah, it's really interesting because the commander's or defense has been so hot as of late, and the iron defense really wasn't. It's almost as if they switched places again, and it's we're back to square one. Yep. Um, one of the keys, I think, to the defense really heating up again for the Hotshots is that pass rush. It used to be one of the weaker ones in the league, but it looked really good Sunday night. Four sacks and ten quarterback hits are excellent numbers, and I saw pressure being put on the commander's quarterbacks quite consistently. Uh, like you said, really the only time they got the ball moving was when the commanders were able to put in a quarterback who could scramble a little more effectively than Woodside mm-hmm. with Williams averaging five yards a carry. If this line can get going while backed up by a really solid secondary, the Hotshots' pass defense will be very, very intimidating. Yeah, that is so true that w- Williams was really the X factor for this team, but it's just unfortunate that they were never able to get it into the end zone and it really just hurt their chances. Yeah, I think one of the reasons they couldn't get it into the end zone are the is the play of the Commanders wide receivers. Mikhail McKay, I thought he was going to play. He did not. He was did not participate in practice three straight times in a row, so he ended up not being in the game. And the Commanders receiving core was pretty lackluster, which we didn't normally see at the beginning of the year. I thought they were going to have a great three-headed monster in McKay, uh, DeMarcus Ayers, and Greg Ward Jr., but neither of those two guys showed up this game. Their leading re- receiver was Greg Ward Jr. with 48 yards, and he was the only wide receiver in the top three for receiving yards. The other one was their tight end and running back, Kenneth Farrow. They need another big playmaker to make up for missing McKay, and right now I just don't see any of these wide receivers stepping up. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I like the receiving core more than I like most of them in the alliance so I think there's definitely potential but when you're missing a guy as dynamic as Mikhail McKay it's definitely gonna hurt your team to say the least yeah I think in terms of raw talent I think it would probably go Apollo's number one for me uh in terms of receiving core with Jalen Marshall and Charles Johnson and then um the commanders because the hotshots really all they have for big plays is Rashad Ross and I thought the commanders had a little more explosiveness from these wide receivers but that also could be due to the fact that Woodside just hasn't been able to throw the ball as well these past two weeks so we'll see what kind of chemistry they have with Williams if he plays next week um a quick little positive though before we wrap up this game commanders kicker Nick Rose I would not at all be surprised if he's another one of those kickers who gets a shot in the NFL again after a season so far. We talk a lot about Young Way Koo here, but Nick Rose is also kicking 100%, 14 for 14, with a much longer uh, long field goal this this year. He kicked his longest of the season this game, 54 yarders. Young Way Koo's longest is only 37, so he is very clutch. He's making all of his field goals, but they've just been a lot shorter, and Rose has been kicking some absolute bombs and making that 54-yarder. Definitely looks good on an NFL uh, scout's book. So I would not be surprised if maybe him, Young Way, and Elliot Fry all end up with another shot at kicking in the NFL next year. Yeah, I was about to say you're trying to bring up Nick Rose as if he's the only other perfect one along no. with Koo. Because Elliot Fry and Koo and Rose are all 14 of 14 so far this season. Yeah, and which Fry's is longest crazy. is 47. So I feel like all three of them deserve a tryout in the NFL. Upcoming oh, absolutely. In my Pittsburgh Steelers. Our <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers should definitely take yeah. a look at at least one of them. I, I would not be mad in the slightest if we <laughs> signed one of these guys. Not at all. Let's move on to game MVPs for this fantastic Hot Shots Commanders game. Tim Cook, the running back for the Hot Shots, because despite his mere 30-yard performance, 
he was still able to score two touchdowns for the team in front of a still loud San Antonio crowd. One touchdown against them is an achievement. Two is MVP worthy. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I'd also give my MVP to John Wolford. He had a great command over the game. He didn't turn the ball over at all. He had a touchdown. He went 17 of 23 for 216 yards, and uh, he averaged 9.4 yards per pass attempt with a QBR of 117.3, which is excellent. I just am impressed with his poise and leadership and everything in front of a crowd as loud as the commanders, so I would also give an MVP nod to him. Sounds like a plan. Before we wrap up with our final segment, a final word from our sponsor, Orca Coolers. Show off your AAF team pride with Orca Coolers and drinkware. They are the best coolers and insulated drinkware on the market. The experts say so. Whether you're going to work, the stadium, or tailgate, the Orca Team Chaser Tumbler will get you there with an ice-cold or piping hot beverage. The Orca Team Chaser's new microplated stainless steel color palette lets you carry your favorite team color, while the double-walled vacuum-sealed body ensures that your ice will stay frozen and your drink will stay strong. Team Cooler color lids are also available to see what time it's a refill uh, when it's time for a refill. I have a yellow one on my pit cup. Derek has a yellow one on his penguins cup, and both cups are pretty sexy. Not gonna lie. <laughs> That's a description. Uh, they are sexy cups. Orca Coolers drinkware and apparel are available online at orcacoolers.com. That is O-R-C-A Coolers.com. NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logo merchandise is also available so you're ready for every season. Orca Coolers is extending a special offer just to our listeners. Enter code AAFANALYZED in all caps and no spaces for free shipping when you place your order online. Now, to move on to our final segment of the show today, and that is where we were right and where we were wrong. Uh, Beginning with where we were right... Yeah, oh, yeah, we do have two segments left. I'm such a silly goose. They're just not that long. No. <laughs> well, we were right, though. Stallion's defense was a great call, was it not? It was. They only gave was. up three points, and you can't really ask for much more than that. If and forced three them. turnovers. And three turnovers. Just a perfect day at the office, and I'm very happy. I started yeah. there. I had a pretty solid week uh, this week in terms of getting things right. Rashad Ross was certainly a fantasy star. The only wide receiver who did better than him was, of course, Charles Johnson. Mike Bercovici was certainly a pass, though there were many quarterbacks you could have passed on this week. Yeah. So um, pretty much if you didn't start a quarterback, you might have been better off than some of these guys. Of course, I got all the games right, so I might as well plug that one more time. And Richardson was a plug, though that one was pretty predictable as my power player. Yep. Let's move over to where we were wrong. You just kind of talked about the quarterbacks. My power player was a man by the name of Luis Perez. He had 65 yeah. <laughs> total yards. And if you do the math, he scored a little over four fantasy points, half of which would be a two-point conversion, which really isn't a great day if you're looking for solid production from a fantasy quarterback. Yeah, well, I don't think we saw the poor production from all of these quarterbacks coming at all this week so quarterback was a very touchy subject for pretty much every team um what i got wrong i thought mikhail mckay was going to play i thought they were just giving him some rest then he didn't practice three days in a row so he obviously is hurt and i hope he's back for next week because he's pretty much the anchor to that receiving core and i thought demorne personnel would be a fantasy star and he was no good though none of the stallions offense was very good at all anyway all right now on to the final 
final section of the episode, and that is our post-Week 8 power rankings. Um, at number one here, we, of course, have the Apollos. They're 7-1. and one. They clinched a playoff spot. They are rolling right now. As long as Garrett Gilbert doesn't turn over the ball as much, they should be uh, sitting pretty, pretty at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, the best any team can do is simply tie them in the total record so it kind of begs the question is the gap in the power rankings back i i don't know i mean the fact that memphis was able to hang with them uh should say something about how the apollos definitely have a weakness and if garrett gilbert doesn't get these turnovers under control that weakness could be very pronounced but right now the apollos are still certainly the best team in the league yeah i guess so number two we have the hot shots. They were able to take out our former number two team, the Commanders, in a pretty good fashion. Yeah. So we have them hopping them over the hot for shots, number two. The hot shots look very good. Didn't we have them? What was the lowest we had them? Five, six, something like that at some point? Uh, probably around there, yeah. Yeah, they've certainly crawled their way back up. They are looking, once again, very solid. John Wolford is playing excellent football, and that defense, like I said, is looking quite scary. Very. Number three, we have the Commanders, the team that was able to lose to the Hot Shots, unfortunately for them. <laughs> However, they're still tied on record, and they're still atop of the West for right now. So it definitely seems like they have an argument to be in the top three, as the Iron weren't able to score that many points and had a quarterback with just a mere 60 yards. So little precursor there. The Iron are at four. They dropped again, mainly because of their poor offensive performance. But yes. if their defense can continue to play like they had, maybe they can hop back up into the top three. Yeah. Um, at number five, we have the Express. Yes, they are two and six, uh, which is tied for the worst record in the league. But they showed so many positive flashes during that game against the Apollos. And the game really ended up being decided by some refereeing calls and a muffed uh, muffed snap. So really, you can't knock the Express for putting up a great fight against the Apollos, so we have them at number five. Number six, we have the Stallions at three and five. They're below the Express because their offense was just non-existent against a team that they should have been able to score at least a couple points on. Um, so, But their defense is pretty much holding them above being near the bottom of the league because the defense is just excellent right now. Yep, number seven, we have the Fleet, who were absolutely atrocious in their game against the Stallions. <laughs> Only scoring three points, they can't win on the road. That's just not the mix for a playoff team. So they win number seven in the power rankings. And finally, rounding it out at number eight is Atlanta. You can't have a point differential of negative 125 <laughs> and expect to be anywhere but last. That's just how it works. I'm sorry. Yeah. Number eight is where you belong. It hurts me that they never could keep the momentum going that they caught uh, during the middle of the season, but they are sitting now at number eight. All right, that's all we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in to our Week 9 Preview Friday. We are almost to the playoffs, folks. Things are about to get very interesting. Thank you so much for listening once again. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at AAF Analyzed, and give us a review on whatever uh, platform you listen on. Thanks again, peace out, and play football. Thank you for listening to the AAF Analyzed podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at AAF Analyzed, and feel free to contact the show to have your questions featured on a future episode. 
And don't forget to check out the show on all other platforms such as iTunes, Overcast, SoundCloud, and YouTube.